annual report, which um, takes a bit of doing. And uh, uh, Friday and Saturday, I was at a business conference, the Caris Business Summit. Fabulous. I uh, got to meet some of the key people who work for Andrew Womack. Some of you might know of Andrew Womack. He's got a television ministry uh, worldwide and uh, has actually got a Bible college here at the Gold Coast, as a matter of fact. And uh, as you know, I'm pretty heavily involved in, um, in, if you like, the theology of business. And I was talking to one of his um, senior people who are looking at revising their business syllabus. They do a postgraduate business course over there in uh, Colorado Springs. Um, they're doing something similar here in Australia as well. So we're going to get involved in helping them rewrite their, their syllabus. And, uh, you know, I said a few weeks ago that never ever feel that there's anything wrong with being small. We won't stay small, of course, but never ever worry about being small because size does not determine impact. And uh, Andrew Wyack Ministries, they broadcast potentially to something like four and a half billion people. They've got about 2,000 people currently enrolled in their uh, Bible college. And here we are, top end of the Gold Coast, uh, working with an international ministry like, like theirs. So, you know, God only worries about people who follow him, right? The Old Testament assures us that great is the army that carries out his word. So it doesn't matter how small or big we might be in the eyes of man, if we're carrying out his word, if we're fulfilling our purpose in him, then we are indeed a great army. I want to talk a little bit about stewardship today. But before we get there, a couple of announcements about what's coming up. Easter's not too far away, as you know. And uh, a lot of people look forward to Easter because it's a holy day. No, actually, most people think of it as a holiday. But, of course, the reason why it's declared a holiday in all Western nations of the world is that Jesus Christ was real. Amen. He really lived. There is so much historical evidence that the man Jesus Christ lived and walked and taught on earth, that it is irrefutable. And there is so much evidence that he did indeed rise on the third day. And there is so much evidence that he was resurrected and that he did ascend back into heaven. And we, of course, have the witness in our own hearts, as Pepe says, that he lives today. Amen. So on Good Friday, we are going to host a Passover dinner. Now, it'll be a Christian version of the Passover dinner. And you're all invited, but you must RSVP. And the reason is we've got to buy all the food and we don't have an unlimited budget, so we don't want to waste anything. In fact, we want to steward the resources that God has released into our hands as wisely as possible. So it's really, really important that you RSVP for that. 
um, yesterday actually we were at a garage sale and we, we needed some new dishes and we got some new dishes at the garage sale and they cost us 20 cents each. We paid $2.50 for a big box. But praise God, you know, we would have had to pay $25 each for them had we gone to Meyer or David Jones or somewhere like that. So that is uh, Good Friday. It starts at 5 o'clock. I know it's a fairly early start, but um, Jerusha's going to Victoria. She's going back to Melbourne for a little while, and I'm taking her to the airport. So um, we've got to have an early start. You know, everyone's important in the kingdom of God, right? Even Rushi down here, she's important in the kingdom of God. So we've got to get her. Actually, we've got to get her back to her boyfriend who's missing her. (laughs) And her mum and dad. They miss her a bit as well, I think. Um, But it starts at five o'clock. It'll be an early night. But please RSVP for that. And um, you've probably heard enough of me already with my craggy voice, so just sit back and have a quick look at the video. don't need me to add anything to that at all, do you? Except our our theme on um, Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, is hope. And uh, that's a great thing to focus on, on uh, Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, because our hope indeed is built on the truth that Jesus Christ not only died, but he was resurrected and he lives today. And by his Holy Spirit, he's in our hearts Daily. In fact, he's in our hearts 24-7. So that's um, Easter Sunday, and it's not too far away, actually, is it? Um, it's bearing down on us pretty quickly. Well, folks, I want to talk a little bit about stewardship today. It's, um, it's coincidental, actually, that 
Um, I was talking a little bit about Andrew Womack earlier. His, his theme for this past week and for the coming month actually is uh, stewardship, financial stewardship. And that's something I'm very interested in, and that's one of the reasons why we've become a cap money church, and, why, and that's one of the reasons why we offer the cap money course, and we'll be doing another course sometime fairly soon. Uh, probably this one will be on a Saturday morning. We'll roll it all into just a few hours. But I believe that the way in which we steward financial resources provides a window to our attitude towards stewardship of everything that God has provided for us. Now, I warn you, there's a fair bit of scripture today. Um, so this is actually more a theological presentation than it is, say, exhortation or, or evangelical. Um, you have to put up with that from me every now and then because when all said and done, I'm Dr. Rod. I am an academic. Now, I actually reckon God needs a few of us, not too many. He needs most of us to be rolling up our sleeves and getting out there and actually doing the work that academics like me talk about, all right? But you need a few people like us to keep the church anchored in the Word of God. So I want to talk a little bit about, if you like, the theology of stewardship today. And, and theology is really just a fancy word for knowing about God and His heart. That's really all it is. And of course, good theology is always going to be based on the Word of God. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis, my favourite book. I tell you what, everything starts in Genesis, doesn't it, eh? And uh, if we have a look at what most theologians these days, they call it the creation mandate. That is, the whole purpose for which we are placed on the earth. And there are two elements of it. Uh, first is the element of dominion. God has actually delegated to humankind dominion over everything that he created and placed in the earth. And in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, this is what we read. I just love this, and it, it, it's something that we should remind ourselves of constantly. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful mandate? God has placed everything in the earth, for us to manage as his representatives. Notice that God gave us dominion. He didn't give us what he had created, but he gave us dominion over what he had created. That is, 
He has delegated to us the role of stewardship. We are to steward everything that God placed in the earth. Now, stewardship does not simply mean hanging on to it until Jesus returns. Because the second part of this principle of stewardship we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 18. In verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, we read this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So what this is actually saying is God is holding us accountable for how we steward what he gave us dominion over. And to tend and keep the earth does not mean conserving it in its original state. It actually means developing it for the glory of God and to enable humanity to flourish. In verse 18, we read this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So God realised that Adam could not tend and keep the garden on his own. Why is that? Because men and women are different. They're complementary. God has always intended men and women to work together in exercising dominion over all that he created and placed in the earth and gave us dominion over. There's no hierarchy of sex in God. Men and women are different, but nevertheless in his eyes they are equal. So we, men and women, are intended by God to tend and keep the garden, that is everything that he has placed in the earth. Now that's Old Testament and you might wonder, well, that's way, way back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. How might that apply to us today? Well, can I draw your attention to the parable of the talents? Now, I'll tell you what, there's a lot in this particular passage in the book of Matthew. We turn now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first of the Gospels, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 25. This is known widely as the parable of the talents. There's another, another parable which is a little bit like it, which is sometimes called the parable of the miners. Uh, most Theologians, most uh, Bible commentators agree that these two parables are not about the same thing, that Jesus is making a different point in the parable of, talent, of the talents compared uh, to the parable of the miners. Now, you probably have a bit of an idea of this parable. The, uh, the master, the nobleman, gives his servants some talents. They don't all get the same number of talents. Now, we might think of a talent as a, as a coin, but in fact it was the equivalent of a very large sum of money. One talent 
was the equivalent of the average worker's wage for a year. Now, the average wage in Australia, the average worker's wage in Australia today is around $80,000. Oh, Ainsley's laughing. Are you below the average, are you? That's a bit sad, isn't it, eh? You don't like to be below average in anything, do you? Anyway, I looked up the data last night. I checked it all last night. It's, uh, depending on how you measure it, somewhere between eighty-one dollars and $84,000. So I said, oh, well, $80,000 is a nice round figure. So 20 talents would be uh, $1.6 million in today's money, right? So we're talking about a pretty rich dude here. So let me read to you uh, this parable from Matthew 25, verse 14. I don't know whether I'll read the whole of it because it goes through to Matthew 25, Verse 30, Jesus is talking to a mixed audience. He's talking directly to his disciples, but he's actually surrounded by Pharisees. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Notice he went and traded with them. He didn't hang on to them. He got involved in trade and commerce. He rolled up his sleeves and he actually went to work and he created wealth on behalf of his master. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to, them, well, said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides these. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. In other words, you actually could have taken the lazy path and just deposited that with the bankers and they had bankers back in those days and the, the, uh, the nobleman would have received back his talent plus the interest on that talent. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. 
For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now there are many, many interpretations of this uh, particular um, parable. But one thing is very clear. God has purpose in giving us our talents. In other words, God has purpose in giving us a portion of the garden. So he's given to me a portion of the garden. He's given to Jeanette a portion of the garden. He's given to Neil a portion of the garden. He's given to Helen a portion of the garden. He's given to each one of us a portion of the garden. That is our talents, our, our gifts. Now some of those are raw in the sense that we were born with them. My daughter Ainsley, my niece Jerusha, they, I reckon, were born musicians. Right? There's, there's something about their raw talent. Yeah, David, you got raw talent. I, I shouldn't leave you out. He's our favourite daughter, by the way. Just remember that. That's a family joke. That's a family I'll explain that later when we're having coffee if you're worried about it. But, you know, we're, we're born with, with raw talent, yes, but there's a lot that we develop as well. And that was, that's the whole point of this story here. You know what? I've seen countless numbers of people who have got raw talent, but they've never developed it. You've got to take that raw talent, and you know what? You've got to spend hours, in fact, thousands of hours developing it. And that's what this parable is all about. It's what you do with what you got for the glory of God. Now, in my case, I really believe that God has called me to teach people about missional business. I just got a phone call the other day. Someone else wants me to come and speak about missional business. God made a promise to me years ago. He said, if you do so and so, I will put you on the speaking circuit. Guess what he's doing? He's putting me on the speaking circuit. Why? Because I did what he told me to do. He gave me a portion of the garden. And I had the good sense, praise God, to take it and develop it. I don't wake up in the morning and think, oops, I'm doing a discussion point this morning. What I'm sharing with you today has been brewing for some time. So it wasn't even a matter of sitting down last night and I spent about four hours. I didn't go to bed till after midnight. I spent about four hours actually putting together the PowerPoint. These things don't happen in five minutes. Yes, I could walk in here and speak off the cuff. But you see, that's not doing anything with what God gave me. That's not turning my one talent or my two talents or my five talents into ten or, uh, or more. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it is with everybody. And an interesting thing is that the nobleman didn't give everybody the same number of talents, did he? 
you know what? It's a lie that everyone is equal. We're not. Everyone is given equal opportunity by God. But you know what? I don't have equal musical talent to these three sitting over here. Actually, Ainsley's banned me from clapping. I, I tried to do a bit of clapping here this morning, but I know I'm no good at it. I just wish someone else would do it. Right? I haven't got too much talent. Maybe, you know, if I worked at it, 10,000 hours, they reckon, is the minimum amount of time that you need to spend to develop your talent. Is, is that right? It's yeah. 10,000 hours, isn't it? <laughs> Jeanette just says, not that much clapping, please. <laughs> I'd have to hide myself in a soundproof box if I'm going to spend 10,000 hours on it. But you see, there's a lot of natural talent in us, but God, if, if, if God just wanted us to get up the front and speak, or to play music, or to make money, he would not have said to Adam, keep and tend this garden, he would have said, sit on a log and watch me work. God never did that. God said, you, 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 you to whom I have given dominion, you tend and keep the garden. And then he said, in order to help you, I am going to bring alongside you a helper. Right? And together, you're going to tend and keep the garden. So what God gives us is not the same as what he gives to someone else. And he might give somebody more than someone else. Remember that the nobleman actually gave out the talents according to the ability of his servants. So he knew them very well. You know, God doesn't even give us all the same amount of ability. So stop comparing yourself to other people. All that matters is what you do with what God placed in your hands. It's not your responsibility to compare yourself with other people. It's your responsibility to discover what God has placed in your hands, what portion of the garden he has given you, and it's your responsibility to develop that. All right? And so God will make his judgments not based on how much we had to start with, but how much we finished with, based on the work that we have done. Now listen to me. It's not distributed equally, but whatever we get, a return is required. And yes, you know what? You can spiritualise this and say it's just about saving people. But I tell you what, God is not just interested in saving people. Most of what's written in the Word of God is about this life. It's temporal. Yes, eternity matters. My goodness me, doesn't eternity matter? But we live temporarily until such time as we die and go to be with Jesus and live with him forever. So we've got to do stuff now with eternity in mind. So God is expecting a return. But let me tell you what, God never expects something of us without making it possible for us to fulfil his expectation. Can I take you back to the Old Testament now? We're going to look in Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and then Genesis. I told you we'd have a lot of, a lot of scripture today. I don't apologise for that, though, because you know what? You're not going to get truth from me just talking. You're going to get truth by looking into the Word of God and allowing His Spirit to breathe on it and make it a reality. 
in your heart. You've got to get revelation of these things yourself. You might go home today thinking, well, that was a fairly good discussion point. I, I was either convicted by it or challenged by it or encouraged by it or affirmed by it. But in a week's time, you'll have forgotten that altogether. You've got to get your own personal revelation of this. You need to take these verses and you need to meditate on them until you get your own personal Holy Spirit-powered revelation of the truth in the Word of God. Let us have a quick look at Deuteronomy 28, verses 9 to 12. The Lord will establish you. He's talking about Israel as a whole here, so we can apply this to the people of God. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. That is, you'll be a witness to him. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rains to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. See, God will bless the work of your hand. He will open the heavens and he'll pour out the rains. That is, he'll pour out all of the other things you need to build on that portion of the garden that he has assigned to you. How does it happen? It happens through the work of your hands. It doesn't happen when you sit on a log and expect God to do the work. It happens when you get involved in the work yourself. In fact, the creation mandate is actually about how we become co-workers with God or co-creators with God. The Holy Spirit will guide us. Deuteronomy 18.8. You know, this is often quoted and we don't have time to read the whole chapter. It's worth reading the whole chapter. But in Deuteronomy 18.8, this, uh, this is what God says. Um, Sorry, Deuteronomy 8.18. So I've got that reference totally around the wrong way. I must be a bit dyslexic, eh? And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. I talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to belabor the point now, but God himself, through the Holy Spirit, empowers us to take what he has given it, given to us and make something of it. And his purpose is in establishing his covenant. The covenant he had with Abraham and the fathers of Israel was a covenant of blessing. They would be blessed so that all nations would be blessed through them. So God's purpose outworked in us is that Everyone around us would be blessed. He wants to see the nations blessed. And he gives us the capacity to be blessed ourselves so that the rest of the world might be blessed. He's here to help. Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. I won't read through that for time's sake. But this is a, a, a picture of a farmer. And what it says is that God actually shows the farmer how to do his job. 
Well, we don't live in an agrarian society today, but I tell you what, I rely on God to show me how to do my job. My job is too big for a mere human being to do. I need the Holy Spirit to give me supernatural wisdom and supernatural energy, supernatural ideas in order to get the job done. He would do that. That promise is in Isaiah 28, verses 23 to 29. Let me take you back to Genesis. This is, I think, the third part of the creation mandate, and most people don't see this. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, this is the chapter that records what we call original sin, when, when Adam and Eve actually sinned and ate the fruit of the tree God told them not to eat of. But I love it. Here in Genesis 3, 8 to 9, there's a key here about the nature of God. And they, that is Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? You know, now we, we often focus here on, on, on the sin and the fact that Suddenly, Adam and Eve were shamed, and of course our response to sin is always shame. We want to hide ourselves. But my point here is this. God was in the habit of walking in the garden daily, in the cool of the evening. He was looking for them. Why was he looking for them? He simply wanted to have a conversation with them. He wanted to have fellowship with them. So you know, God might expect us to take those talents and through trade, or through work, multiply those talents, but his promise is he's going to be with us. Amen. He doesn't leave it to us. He doesn't say, I'm actually going, he's not like that nobleman who says, well, I'm going away, I'm going to leave you to it. He doesn't do that at all. By his Holy Spirit, he's with us. And I really believe that prayer is the contemporary equivalent of walking in the garden, in the cool of the evening, and conversing with God. I really, really believe that. There are many definitions of prayer. That's my definition of prayer. It's the equivalent of walking in the garden, in the cool of the evening, and simply conversing with God. Actually crooked, right? He were, at, at the very least, he was mismanaging his, his boss's uh, finances. And someone whispered, to his boss saying, hey, listen, this guy's not really doing the right thing by you. So the boss calls him to account and says, look, you're going to be dismissed. But uh, who knows you can't always dismiss people on the spot. This bloke couldn't do that with his manager. So the manager continued to work for a little while. And what he did, he went, went around to people and he wrote off portion of their debt, thinking, well, when I'm no longer employed, I'm going to have a few friends. And, blow me down, his boss commended him for it. Well, you're a pretty smart man for doing that. And then Jesus, again, he's got this mixed audience. It's not just his disciples. It's... Uh, the Pharisees as well. So Jesus is actually teaching to two different audiences and so there are really two different purposes behind this parable. One, he's addressing the people of the world, right? It's interesting that every character in this parable 
was an evil dude. They were wicked dudes. They weren't followers of Jesus Christ and they certainly weren't implementing the word of God. But then he says to the, to the disciples, you know, you should use these strategies for kingdom purposes. You should use these strategies in a kingdom way. And what is the kingdom way? Well, it's exactly the same as the parable of the talents. It's using the wealth of your master. Who's our master? God. Jesus Christ. God through Jesus Christ. We're using what he has given us dominion over. So for us as individuals, we're given dominion over a portion of the garden. So we're using that. What are we using it for? We should be using it for kingdom purposes. And kingdom purposes extend way, way, way beyond simply saving people. If there's one criticism of the Pentecostal movements, it is that we tend to focus on salvation, which is great. But you know what? God cares about how we live now. Can you, do you think God is possibly satisfied with the amount of poverty there is in the world today? Even in our own midst? Do you think God is satisfied with that? Do you think God is satisfied that today there are people being abused emotionally, physically? Do you think that God is satisfied that there are economic systems, political systems, social systems, education systems that are broken today? Do you think God is satisfied that the arts have been so corrupted that they are more reflective of the devil than they are of God? He's not. And you know what? Our calling, our temporal calling as the church, is to be involved and bring godly influence into all of these areas. My area is education. I've been involved in, in university level education for over 35 years. I'm responsible to bring godly principles. Now, it's easier to do now. I've been at Christian Heritage College for the last eight years. It's a lot easier for me to do that now than it used to be. I spent 28 years working in government universities. That, that's a big, a big job. That's a big ask. It's a big thing to stand up for the things of the kingdom in that environment. But I did. Because I was motivated by the word of God, which tells me that I have dominion, I am to tend and keep the garden, I have a portion of that garden, that's my talents, and I am to use wisdom of the same ilk, of the same level as the wicked of the world do, in order to fulfil God's kingdom purpose, or at least to fulfil my purpose in his unfolding kingdom on earth. Now this is not to make, I don't want you to go home feeling weighed down. Remember, God gives you power to get wealth. God gives the farmer wisdom to sow and to grow and to harvest. And so too, he will give you wisdom to use 
the talents that he has placed in you for his purposes on the earth. And never forget, never ever forget that it is his great pleasure to walk with you in your part of the garden in the cool of the evening and simply converse with you.